the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Usually, depending upon the counsel that you've retained, that'll be the determining factor as to how you come out on top or on bottom in a court case. Spiritually speaking, you've got a winner. You know, court cases are won or lost by competent counsel. When you get a public defender, you're going to end up pleading out. If you get a top-of-the-line lawyer, well, you stand a good chance of winning your case. When it comes to your case before God, spiritually speaking, the one who represents you will determine how you come out on top or bottom. If you're representing yourself, you're going to lose. But if you have the counsel of the Lord Christ, oh, you have a surefire win in that court. For the details, here's Pastor Phil Howard on today's broadcast of Truth For Today. I need to say this. We're going to heaven not because we have become perfect. We're not going to heaven because we've got this great righteousness in and of ourselves by our own life and conduct. Though we want to be a people that fear God and live in holiness, but the best of us feel our imperfections. But he says in the gospel, God offers a gift of righteousness, a righteousness not your own. It's a gift. And this was another big debate in church history. Is the righteousness one that because he sees me that I've acted righteous and that he's infused it Or is it that he imputed it? Two big differences. One says God sees that it's within me, that he really is righteous, because God couldn't declare me righteous unless I really was, or they they called it a legal fiction. Or could God give me a righteousness not my own, but as Luther called it, alien to me, outside of me, Is there any way I could be right with God with a righteousness not my own, but from Christ? Look at Philippians. Just look at what Paul's great testimony. Just see this verse, Philippians 3, 9. He's giving this testimony how God saved him from being a devout Jew and a devout rabbi. And he says in verse 9, And be found in him, Jesus Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from law-keeping, though I was blameless before the law. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. The gift of righteousness comes from God. It's received by faith. It's not your own. Your own righteousness is as filthy rags in the sight of God. This is uh, major. Some of you have uh, 
sat under maybe the gospel for years. This separates us from all other religions. You just, you could yawn through this stuff because you don't know how much blood's been spilt and how many bloody seas have been sailed through to teach this stuff. Someone got upset with me talking about what Rome had said. And I said, well, just go up on the internet and bring it up. Look at it for yourself. Church history stands as it stands. There were battles fought to say a man cannot be justified before God through any human instrument, only the righteousness of Christ received by faith. And the church should say from their gut, amen. If you can earn it, uh, we're a cult. If it's free, if it's grace, we might be Christians. It really is a gift righteousness. It's not an earned righteousness. That's why we ought to be a humble people. We shouldn't be strutting that we're so holy or that we're so perfect or we're so right. You were nothing but a wonderful candidate for eternal separation until the gift came to your life. And God tracked you down. You didn't find God. He found you. God wasn't lost. You were lost. And he tracked you down. You didn't even know how to find him. Blind men can't find him. And we were blind. And dead men can't walk. And we were dead. But God quickened us, Ephesians says, by his grace. And when he quickened us, he gave us new life and got us out of the graveyard of the Adamic fall. That's what he did in Christ. Why I love Romans. By the way, I'm starting it over again when I get done. (laughs) Being with Rich Rollins this week, he's persecuted me all week. What happened to the overview? He just keeps persecuting. So, because I was going to do a quick overview, but I get hooked every time. Because people just, uh, see, people think doctrine is heady divorce from life. No, no, it's everything. Doctrine means teaching. What does the Bible teach on anything? So we are not averse to doctrine. It's all over. The, all scripture is profitable for teaching doctrine. And this teaching will convict, it will correct, it will instruct you in righteous ways to live. And this scripture will see that you are thoroughly furnished for everything God wants to do with you. Learn the scriptures before you get too worried about if God's going to use you. If you've got enough dedication to find out what God said, there might be a chance you could represent what he says. But you've got to find out what he says. Well, enough little commercial there for learning the Bible. Uh, Look at here. Consequently, just as a result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of the one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. And we find out the all men wind up being all the men who will believe. Uh, and, And this is interesting. One act of righteousness. What was that act of righteousness? 
That act of righteousness was the entire life and death of our new head, our racial head, the new man he's creating in Christ. The life of Christ was one whole life of obedience. He came, according to Hebrews 10, a body you've created for me that I may come and fulfill thy law in the volume of the book. John the Baptist wanted to baptize him, and he said, and he told Jesus, I'm not worthy to even untie your shoes. Why do you want to be baptized? To fulfill all righteousness. Then it says, he comes to the cross, and he dies all the way through John. I die to do the Father's will. I've come to do the Father's will. So our righteousness is Christ, from conception to the death on the cross, he represented the righteousness of God. Now, this is what he did. This is amazing. Don't don't miss this. He not only paid for my sins, that was the righteous payment for sin, but, hear me, he perfectly obeyed everything that God ever said. And when I accept Christ, I get credit for that obedience. For he represented me in his obedience. Not in only obeying God, but in dying for the sins for my disobedience. So I get credit in Christ, my new head, for having kept the law And for everything I broke, it's been paid. So when God said, I'm going to declare you righteous, whose righteousness are you declaring that I've got? You've got my son's righteousness. Well, what is that? He is the perfect fulfillment of everything I ever commanded. He fulfilled the law on every uh, tittle and every jot. And he died under the penalty of the law for sin breakers. And you get credit for both both having died for your sins and having kept the law. Christ is our representative. He did it, and we get credit for it. It is amazing. You know, I am uh, low after these many years of preaching. I'm at that point in my life. I don't know that my understanding of many of these verses is brand new. I've never seen this. But it's this way. Anymore, when I come to study the Word of God, and when I look at it, and by the time I walk away, it's like the bush is aglow. I want to take off my shoes. I'm in awe of what I understand. I'm in awe of these things. And I get half mad at you that you're not jumping over a pew right now. Because I'm in awe of, of the truth. It's not, oh, I've never seen this. I've only looked at this book all my life. It's my lifetime study. But now I stand it. And can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? It, you mean this is true? This is the way you did it? Yeah, this is the way I did it. Well, Lord, I believe you died for my sins for you, but now I'm in awe of it. Do you know what I'm saying? Instead of saying, well, 
I wonder if that's a past tense or present. Uh, I noticed, Pastor, you didn't get this nuance. Oh, shut up. <laughs> when are you going to worship when you're hearing the word? But you're going to say, oh, it's greater than I ever realized. It, it's awesome. And I'm not talking about Michael Jackson and the moonwalk. I'm talking about God. I only use the word awesome of God. Other things don't fill me with awe. I'm going to say awful. But of him, it's awesome. And can it be that I've got this righteousness and before God... Right now, he doesn't see me as a dirty, filthy, rotten, no good worm sinner. But he says, I see you justified. I see you as my own. I see nothing but the perfect righteousness of Christ. I've given all of it to your account because you simply took Christ and received him in your heart. And I get this standing right. That's right. We could applaud heaven forever, couldn't we? I mean, this is good news when you're a real sinner. If you're a quasi-saint, get over it. You're a real sinner that God saved. Consequently, as a result of one trespass was condemnation to all men, as a result of one act of righteousness, the active obedience, the cross obedience of Christ, brings justification to all men. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. And I don't believe that made righteous there means practical. I think in the context, he's still talking about judicial righteousness. You'll be judicially declared right in the court of God. In chapter 6, he begins with practical righteousness, how we live it out, the walk of the believer in sanctification. Let me say this. Keep this in mind. Three great imputations. Imputation meaning to put to your credit the work or the act of another. I sort of, you, you hear it beautifully illustrated in the book of Philemon when Paul tells Onesimus and uh, uh, writing to Philemon, Onesimus, the runaway slave, he tells Philemon, and whatever Onesimus may have stolen from you or owes you, charge that to my account. That's the word imputation. Charge it to me. And three great imputations of Scripture. Here they are. Romans 5.12. The sin of Adam was imputed to the whole human race. And if you disagree with that, just stop any part of the race from dying. And you can win your argument. A universal effect has a universal cause. One sin brought death to all men. Whether they're under the law of Moses, they couldn't have been in the garden to break that command. They were represented in Adam. So the sin of Adam was imputed to the whole human race. Now look at 2 Corinthians. We'll conclude with this. 2 Corinthians. 
5. I'll begin with verse 18. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. Ah, there's the concept of imputing. He was not imputing, not charging with their sins. Well, who were you charging? And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Two uses of reconciliation. One is the cross work of Christ was a reconciling work. Now he says, I'm employing my church to go beseech people Enter into the benefits of that crossword. Believe. Be reconciled to God. Now watch what he says. God, God the Father, made him, Jesus Christ, who had no sin, to be sin for us. There's the second great imputation. God the Father was willing not to charge believers who would turn to Christ for their sins. But he made Christ to be our sin. So God took the sin we inherited from Adam and our own personal acts of sin, and he charged, he imputed it to his son. And the great explanation of this is seen in Isaiah 53. God made his soul an offering for sin, it, was ple- it pleased the Lord to bruise him, and he took our griefs and our sins. Then he shows us the third imputation, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, Christ has become to us righteousness. Our righteousness is Christ, and has been charged to your account by faith alone. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All of the ground is sinking sand. You stand as a child of God, You've escaped the condemnation. Oh, you say, well, people, uh, believers still dying. Guess what? The last enemy to be destroyed will be death. And in the meantime, he's removed the sting for us. For he says, for us to die will be gain. And to die for us will be to be accompanied by the divine shepherd of 23rd Psalm. I will be with you through it. And I will see to it the last enemy to be destroyed is death. As in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. Even death will cease for us. That's why part of heaven is eternal life. Eternal life. Not only God's quality of life while here, but a life that will go on forever and ever and ever. And you got it all. You got it all as a gift. I ask you today. 
Who represents you? If you should die today, if you should die before we meet next Sunday, and you come before God, who will represent you before God? You know, it's a marvelous thing. I say it to you, dear saints. When I sin, even as a believer, when I sin, do Christians sin? You better believe it. First John said, if we say we don't, we're deceived. We're liars. We do sin. And when I sin, I have no representation. Oh, no, 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 no. My little children, I write these things unto you that you not even sin once. But in case you do sin, we have a representative on duty who advocates for you before the Father, and he pleads his own righteousness for you. So I'm being represented now. Hebrews 7.25, he ever lives to make intercession for his own, to save them to the point of completion, to the uttermost. Hebrews 7.25. I have Hebrews 9.24, Christ rose from the dead and he now appears in the presence of God. And look at the verse, for us. Guess what? My representative beholds the face of God day and night, and I'm represented. I'm engraved in his palms. I'm right there before the Father's face in my representative. That's why he cannot condemn me. Christ, Christ is my righteousness. He's your righteousness. I would think we would want to go to the ends of the earth to tell the condemned children of Adam there's a way to escape. Flee to Jesus Christ. And he'll remove the curse of the Adamic curse and put you under the justification of being under a new family head. This is what we have in Christ. Our Father, we are in awe of your salvation. Uh, No one can save but you. No one can save but you. I pray if there's anyone here today that's just a nominal Christian, just in name only, they know a few cliches, and they may even be here out of sincerity, but they don't know you. They've never received the gift. I love what you said, to receive a gift, not to do anything, but to, by faith, open the gift and find it's everything God is for us in Jesus. I pray, open the eyes of anyone that does not know you. Preachers can't save. Preachers can't open eyes. Preachers cannot regenerate. Only you can. But as your ambassador, I plead, I plead with those who are still living under the condemning power of Adam that they would flee and come to this new head, Christ our representative. Oh, what a blessed blessed privilege. We love you, adore you, and we're never going to let you forget it for all eternity. We're going to remind you it was your grace that got us here. Even if you're stuck with this, Lord, it's your fault. You're the one that saved. You're the one that populates heaven. 
And to you we'll forever sing our praises. What a great and awesome God you are. Amen. Amen. And once again, we've come to the end of our time together here today on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. As we lock things up for another day of broadcasting, we do so with a a way to contact us here at Truth For Today. If you have a question, a prayer request, comment, we would love to pray for you. If you have a praise report about how the program is encouraging you in Christ, we'd love to hear that as well. A couple of ways to reach out to us. The easiest, of course, our phone number, 855-833-9864, or our website, truthfortodayradio.org. Now, you have another way to reach out to us, and that is, especially if you have a question or a praise report, that you would like Pastor Phil to answer. Well, simply take your voice memo app on that smartphone of yours, record your question along with who you are and where you're calling from, and then email that bit of audio to us at tftquestions at valleybible.org. Again, the email address is tftquestions at valleybible.org. So email that to us. We'll run it by Pastor Phil. And should we use it on the radio, we'll even let you know when. And as always, you can again reach out to us at our website, truthfortodayradio.org, or by calling 855-833-9864. You can also write to us, 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. The zip code is 94547. As you partner with us financially, bear in mind that we are able to continue this radio ministry through you doing just that, joining other friends and family members of this ministry to ensure that this program continues its ministry in the greater Bay Area. Please consider that as you reach out to us, and then join us next time for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Blessed be the name.